that um, song has, I don't know, first time I listened to it, I was thinking to myself, huh? The more I looked at the lyrics, the sort of a, a crystal clear thought came out of it uh, for me, which is that the, the song essentially articulates movement is good. C keep moving. One thing to another, keep moving. The worst thing would be stopping. Keep moving even as if, if it's happiness that you've found. Happiness struck her, from that she fled. I don't know if that resonates with you at all, but there's a huge part of that concept of just keep moving that strikes me and I think is somewhat endemic in our culture. We fear stopping, not sure if we stop what we'll find, and so we just keep moving. There's a, one of my favorite shows, TV shows, is no longer on the air, except in syndication, which is West Wing. And West Wing was about the West Wing, which means for those of you who did not major in political science or haven't read the newspaper, it's where the president is. He's in the West Wing of the White House. And so it was a story about a, I mean, a, a TV show about a, a, a presidential administration. And the president, whose name was Bartlett, one of his, his uh, mantras, one of his, the things that he said was when he was in discussions with advisors and they were bringing information to him, when he was done with the topic, what he said was, what's next? Now for him, what's next was like amen at the end of the prayer. It meant you were done, we're moving on. And occasionally what would happen is that one of his advisors didn't like his answer at that point and would keep talking. And so he'd look at them and say, I said, what's next? And that was their cue. I'm done, we're moving on. I, 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 this has been a sort of a core mantra of my life, quite honestly, which is what's next? When I was growing up, I thought that way about everything, everything, good, bad, or indifferent. If there are, you know, to be very simplistic, if there are three time periods of life, past, present, and future, I lived future. Some of you live in the past. This is an aside, just so you know. Some of you live in the past, honestly. That's what you do. If you're honest with yourself, you live in the past, and you're going to have to work that one through. Not me. I lived in the future, always with what's next, such that even when I was enjoying something, in my head would be, what's next? Where do I go from here? Another, I'd be on vacation. I'd be having fun. And if there were three days left, this was the thing, what I would think. Only three more days. Only. You know, circle that word, only. Where did that come from? Why only three days left? Why in the midst of actually enjoying something was I saying to myself, what's next? This is almost over, and then we'll be the next thing. I've begun to explore that a little bit. I now, by the way, can be in vacation and not ask what's next. I can actually enjoy the moment. Stunning, really. I can be in vacation and be thinking, oh, we <sighs> only three days left with a sigh, not with a, it's almost over. It's with a, I wish it wasn't almost over. Huge, a huge breakthrough for me, seriously. I know, you're stunned by that. You're stunned by how much I've evolved. But what I've explored within myself is, so what is it about? What's the what's next about? What's the keep moving about? What's the this is almost over? I think there's something about believing. If I finish this and I get on to that, then nothing bad happened here, and I can move on. If I can just keep moving in life, then I can just get through it all without too much trouble. If I pause too long in anything, I don't know what's going to happen. Our culture in a broad generalization, fears silence. We fill the gaps in. We don't like silence. We like movement. Move from one thing to another. 
and your movement's killing you. In this series, we have talked about action. Expiration date has it been about there are matters in your life that we treat as not urgent, and they are urgent, and if you don't act, something will be lost. And so in the entire series, over and over again, we've pounded on the notion of acting, acting on matters of great importance that if you don't act on, they, they will go sideways, that there are deadlines in our life, there are matters of real urgency. And now we come to the end of it, and I'm going to say something completely counterintuitive, without which the rest of the series will not work as well. And that is this. You have an urgent need to pause. You urgently need to find space in your life. And you have a tendency to fill it in. Now, if I tell you to pause, if I tell you you need stops in your life, if I tell you you need some silence, you're, you're thinking a couple of different things. One is, <laughs> that's, that's quaint, he must not have much to do if he's talking about pausing. Or you're thinking, yeah, that's right, you know, I, I, I do need to find pauses in my life. And so your version of pause is you start early, go late, and then you pause as you hit the bed. That's called crashing, my friends, not pausing. Your version of pausing might be you're overwhelmed and you're forced to stop because your brain's going to explode. This week I looked at my to-do list and I really, it kept growing and I went, and so I got up and I walked in a circle. Seriously. I, I, I got up, I walked, and, I walked, and then I, I sat back down. And, but that's not really a pause. That's an, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Forced pauses in your life do not create rhythm. You're already overloaded. Now, this is really important. I am not going to tell you, you need pauses in your life because then you'll be a healthier person. You'll find more rhythm. Maybe, sure. Why not? Could be true. Not not the point. What we're going to look at is a deeply thoroughly biblical notion throughout the entirety of the Bible which presents this idea of stopping and pausing as core to activating direction, purpose, focus, and wisdom in our lives. Without those pauses, we will not be anywhere nearly as effective, proactive, or wise. So, we're going to look at a we're going to look at one passage in the Bible in particular, but I'm going to talk you through a couple of others. I want you to see the fullness of this concept and the importance of it for you. Okay, the passage we're going to look at is the same one we started the series on. It's from the letter to the Ephesians, which was a letter written to a church in Ephesus to address specific issues. We started the series with it because it has this great passage about urgency and action. And this is what it says. It's Ephesians 5, verses 14 through 17. Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Okay, we looked at that in the beginning, we were like, you know, wake up. We have to wake up. Got to take the moments that are before us. We were all carpe diem. You know, there's stuff to be done. There's opportunities to be had. You know, we want to live wise lives. We have to begin acting on matters of urgency. All true. But then there's the last verse. 
Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And in other versions, understand what God wants for your life. One of the most common questions I've been asked over the years is, what does God want me to do? What am I supposed to do? What's his will for me with, my, with this relationship, with my job, with my career? What, a, what is God's will for my life? What am I supposed to do? And most people want me to do this. Two things. In order to know God's will for your life, you need to read these four passages, you need to pray these things, and then you need to make a pro-con list and then flip a coin. And then you'll know at the end. <laughs> okay, I threw in the flip a coin. The idea, they want, you want something definitive from me, you know, at the end of which you can go, oh, this is what God wants for my life. How, in fact, do you know how God wants, how do you know what you're supposed to act on and what you're not supposed to act on? How do you actually know what's urgent and what's not? How do you not live your life skipping from one experience to another? You pause. And in those moments of pause, you listen. And in those moments where you're listening, you experience God. And my friends, you want to fill all those pauses in. Another of my favorite TV shows, this is TV show Sunday. Another of my favorite TV shows from farther back, this you can still see in syndication, but some of you have never actually seen this when this was in, on the actual TV. Seinfeld. Thank you. Seinfeld. <laughs> How many here from Chicago? Okay. Seinfeld. In Seinfeld, there was this great, it's a classic episode where they are pitching to NBC. George and Jerry are pitching to NBC a new TV show that's about nothing. That's what they're pitching, about nothing. And the executives are quizzical, and Jerry senses that there's something amiss here. And so every time they, he says, it's about nothing, but there's going to be, and he starts to say something else it's about, and George will go, no, it's about nothing. And, and then it, and it ends with him saying, well, why are, the executive saying, well, why are people watching it then? He says, because it's on TV, and he says, not yet. What George continues to push is, it's really about nothing. Now, this is what I'm, this is the same battle you will have. What I'm urging you this, I'm urging you to find pauses in your life. Space, intentional space, listen to me carefully, that you don't fill in. For example, I think you should read the Bible. I do. Great deal of trouble went for this thing to be here. It tells this majestic story of God pursuing you. It tells things that are true about your heart that resonate so deeply. I think you should read the Bible. However, I am not telling you today to pause and read your Bible. I think you should pray. I do. I think you should come to God with your, with your questions, with your anger, with your joys. I think you should bring all that before God. If you go through the Psalms, what you'll see is people in the midst of their lives crying out to God and then, and then meeting God in the midst of that. I think that's awesome. I think you need to be doing that to grow. However, that's not what I'm talking to you about today. I'm not telling you to find pauses to cry out to God. I'm telling you, wow, that sounded kind of strong there. Sorry. I'm telling you. At least I didn't wag my finger. Well, I just did. <laughs> Beth, I'm telling you. <sighs> It'd be a really good idea, I think, for you to create intentional space in your life to be quiet 
and just listen. That was long, wasn't it? We're really uncomfortable with silence. We're uncomfortable with the pauses. Like gravel pouring in, we want to fill them in. I teach public speaking. When I teach public speaking, one of the things that I tell students is the importance of pausing. Because what I'll tell them is you're telling somebody something and you actually want them to think about it and reflect on it and go somewhere with it. And so if you say something brilliant and keep talking, they don't have time to catch up to you. And so I'll have students that are speaking, they say something that's really good and they, I'm like, you know, it's time out. You need to stop right there because they'll say this brilliant thing and they'll go right on to the next thing. And the people in the audience are going like, okay, I'm just going to keep moving here. They don't give them any space to consider what happened in the speech and what they're being told. In your life, if you do not create pauses, you do not give yourself the space to consider why you're acting, what just happened, what it means for you, and what in the world God is saying into your life. You're just acting and reacting. You see, God wants more for us than we think. And what he wants for us is an actual relationship with him where we hear him speak to us, where we know. Not in that sense where you're going to look at other people and say, God told me that you should quit your job. But where you'll have a deep, abiding, and true sense of what God wants for your life in the nitty-gritty. It's not hocus-pocus. For example, most of the biggest decisions in my life, when I finally made them, it came at a point where I got to the end of all of my counsel, wisdom, advice, pros and cons. I don't usually make pros and cons, but when I was trying to decide between law school and seminary, and so I was trying to decide between being a lawyer and going into the ministry, and so I ask lots of people, and I get advice all over the map. Oh, you should be a lawyer. Oh, you should go to the ministry. Oh, that's stupid. Oh, that's great. I got advice all over the place. I made pros and cons. I don't make pros and cons. I made pros and cons. I prayed. I agonized. God, and I, I'm nothing. Confused. Total confusion. No idea. And so I was about to go to, well, let's flip a coin. I mean, no idea. At the end of myself, with nothing else to say, nothing else to ask, nobody to talk to, I sat not because I'm a really wise person who knew I needed silence. I sat because I had nothing. And I closed my eyes, and I told God that I just don't know, and I, I had nothing. And then I knew. It was the wildest thing. And then I knew. Not, I went, hey, you know, I have a new thought that maybe I should do this because 72% of the time this will work out better. I knew. I knew so much that I popped my eyes open, walked over to the phone, because those were the days where phones were plugged into walls. I walked over to the phone, and <laughs> no, I didn't do that, come on. I walked over to the phone, and I called the University of Virginia to tell them I wasn't coming. And I moved on. Never looked back. Because I knew. See, I, I, I really think that's what God wants for you. 
And so, throughout the Bible, he creates this concept, very rich concept, of the pause, of creating space in your life. For example, one of the uh, uh, deepest Old Testament concepts that's even in the Ten Commandments, Big Ten, is what's called the Sabbath. The Sabbath literally means cessation. That's all it means. It does not mean you cannot buy beer before 12 at Harris Teeter on Sundays. It means cessation. Stop. Seriously, one of the Ten Commandments, what it's teaching you is stop. Now, I'm pretty convinced of this. I don't know that many things. I know this. God's really smart, and he created us. And he says, Big Ten, okay, don't kill people. And we're going, okay, that seems like a good idea. And stop. Seriously, don't kill people. Stop. Yes. Stop. And so the Old Testament concept is creating was stop one day a week. And it was Saturday, not Sunday. Stop one day a week. And in presenting that, what happened is those people were just like you and me. They were like, what do you mean by stop? By stop, do you mean move a little slower? By stop, do you mean I stop and then they, they created all sorts of rules like if I lose something, I can go find it. Okay, so what I'm going to do the night before is I'm going to lose things every 500 yards to get to where I want to go. Yes, the sound you hear is God banging his head against the wall. Stop. Jesus, when he's on earth, teaches this concept. In, in, in the Gospel of John, one of the four accounts of his life, he's teaching people, listen to this carefully, he's teaching people how to live productive lives. In John 15, he's teaching them how to experience, he uses the analogy of fruit, how to experience more productivity in your life. And at the core of that, he says this in John 15, 4, remain in me and I'll remain in you. And then you'll produce lots of fruit. And I stop and I think to myself, remain, seriously. That's what you went with, Jesus, remain. You know what remain means? What means remain? I mean, it means stay. It means don't go anywhere else. It means don't ask what's next. It means don't race through your life. It means stop. The core of our engagement with God, according to Jesus, is remain. Pause. And then there's a day where Jesus is, uh, I mean, things are happening. Seriously, things are happening. The, the, the disciples, they're like on a caffeine high because it's just, it is just flying. I mean, he's healing people. He's raising people from the dead. He's, he's parting, you know, walking on water. He's doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And they are just like, this is incredible. And so they wake up one morning going like, what's next? Where are we going to go? And they can't find Jesus. And this is what they're thinking. He's already gone off and he's doing stuff without us. And then they find him and he's off by himself. And they're like, Jesus, what are you doing? He says, I, I had to be with my father. He doesn't say, I needed to be studying the Torah because if you don't, now this, it's true. Good th- study the Bible. It's a good thing. But that's not what he said. He said, I needed to be with my father. To be. To remain. I needed to hit the pause button. We will go out the rest of the day and we will do incredible things, but I need to pause. You need to pause. I'm not telling you you need to suddenly hit this slow life where you rock on the porch most of the time and whittle. 
I'm saying even in the midst of your hectic life, I have, I'll tell you this story after, I have whittling scars, just so you know, from Arkansas. I'm not telling you you just need to change your whole personality. I'm telling you that if you want to be wise, you, just, you don't have to do this. You can just go fast forward. You don't have to do this. But I'm telling you, according to the Bible, if you want to be wise, if you know how, want, to ha- want to know how to make the most of your days, then you have to know what God wants. You have to know what you're supposed to do. And according to the Bible, a key to that is stopping. Creating intentional space in your life that you don't fill in. Now, I'd like you not to lose your job. And so when I'm saying that, I'm not telling you, you go, <laughs> okay, let's picture it now, right? And you're sitting at your desk and your boss comes in and he says, what, what, what have you been doing the last hour? Pausing. Stopping. You mean you've been stopping in order to consider the, the plan? No, no. Don't try to fill in my spaces. My pastor told me. I'm pa- in fact, I'm pausing all day. What I'm saying is that there, we have to develop rhythms to our life. The Bible teaches something about rhythm. We have to develop the whole idea of the Sabbath was rhythm. I'm just hoping it's not my phone. And so what does that look like? Really, I think practically anything. So what does that look like? This is what I think it looks like. If you have lots of meetings during your day, if you want to be more productive, wiser, and actually connect with God in the middle of your day, not have a little time over there where I connect with God over here and then I live the rest of my life. If you want to actually walk with God, if you want to actually experience His presence throughout the day, then you need to architect, design pauses in your day. If you have lots of appointments, you put five minutes between them. Five, not three hours, five. Which you do not fill in with everything else you need to do. You take five minutes. If you're working on a project, you intentionally take five minutes. Yes, I'm making up the five. It doesn't matter. You take five minutes and you pause and you don't do anything. Maybe you toss up the beginning of prayer to God and say, God, I'm just going to sit. You got anything to say to me? I'm here. If you spend time reading your Bible and praying every day, which I encourage you to do because there's incredible value in that in helping you to grow and become who God made you to be. If you take intentional time to do that, I'm, I'm encouraging you to take a few, just a few minutes of that and don't do a thing. Remain. Sit before God without anything else going on. It's like a speech. If I never stop, you can't catch up. If I stop, you can actually take it in. We're in danger of not taking our own life in. We're in danger of missing the wisdom from God in those spaces that actually makes our actions powerful and directed because we don't know how to stop. 
couple thousand years ago, the God of the universe sent his son to earth. He walked on earth at a pace that was slower than you and I would have. At the end of his life, he allowed himself to be taken away, convicted, tried, and killed. He was raised from the dead to accomplish the redemption of every human soul who would choose it. And then through that one act, thousands of years in the making, he called you and I to himself. He called us into a relationship with him where we would have an intimate connection. He did not call us into a religious practice. He called us into a relationship with him. And now as we walk through our days when we receive that, we have the opportunity to actually experience the presence of God in our lives. And we're moving so fast, there's not even a space to hear it. God wants more for our lives than frenzy. He wants directed action, purposeful movement, wisdom in our choices, impact through our lives. And quite honestly, it's not going to happen unless we learn how to stop, sit before him, and listen. If you begin to do this, it will be hard. I, as I've told you, always struggle with a true pause. My mind spins constantly. It's very tiring sometimes. <laughs> it races. And so the battle for me is to pause. Not when I'm overwhelmed. It's too late. Not when I crash. It's not pausing, it's crashing. <laughs> With rhythm. <coughs> Arise, O sleeper. Wake from the dead. Let the light of Christ shine on you. Make the most of every opportunity. Learn how to be wise, not unwise. How? Understand what God wants for your life. How? Learn to pause. Learn to listen. Say, theologian slash philosopher in the early part of the, or the middle of the 20th century named Francis Schaeffer, whose entire thesis of a three-volume three series of books was God's there and he's speaking. He is there and he is not silent. God's not silent. He's willing to speak into the midst of your life and eager to do so as we create the space to listen. As we go to communion today, this is an opportunity for a pause. Not to fill in more stuff, for a pause. On the night that Jesus was betrayed before he's taken away, he, he, they were at Passover, which was an ancient, once a year, um, Jewish celebration of an escape from uh, Egypt. And Jesus changed it, changed the meaning on the spot, took the same elements and, and, and in communication terms, recoded them. Never mind. He changed them, changed the meaning of it. Such that he, he took bread, which what that meant, the bread in that ceremony, it was unleavened. And what it meant was we were in a hurry to get out of Egypt because God was delivering us at that moment. That was that bread signified. He took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. It's broken 
for you. Take and eat it. And then he took a cup of wine, a third cup of wine in the meal after the supper, and he said, this cup is the new agreement in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Take it, all of you. And then he passed this on to us as a way for us to remember the core piece of Christianity, which is the death and resurrection of Jesus for us, which forgives us, and then as we take that in, it's symbolic of the fact that now God is in us and with us and for us. Today, as you come to communion, if you are somebody who's received that on your behalf, whether you're part of Warehouse or not, I encourage you to come forward as we have communion and share in that moment. If you're still exploring that and you're wondering, what I, do I believe in this? I encourage you to take this moment as a pause to consider rather than take a ritual that for you doesn't yet mean anything. Take it as a pause. If you're ready today to receive that free gift, salvation, forgiveness, relationship with God, and you've never done it before, come forward during communion and take it. And know that from that moment on, God is with you and in you and for you. As we come to communion today, though, this is what I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to encourage you to take this space as you hold that bread and wine in your hands and just wait. A minute. Just wait. Get your soul used to the posture of sitting before God, pausing and listening. Let's pray. Lord, would you lead us in this time? You've given us a great gift of yourself. Give us the wisdom to not rush past that. And speak to us now in the midst of this time of communion. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, the communion servers are going to come forward. I'm going to serve them. And then we're going to spread out into four stations around the room. Once they spread out there, you can make your way to any of those stations. They will gather you into a group of about 12. They will serve you. They will give you a time of silence. They will pray with you, and then you can make your way back to your seat.